This is Martin Sherrington from PleasureBusiness.com. Hi, my name is Pep Lyon, and you're listening to Traffic Jam. Coming to you in your speakers from Dubai to all around the globe. This is James Reynolds Traffic Jam Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi there, listener. Welcome back to another episode of Traffic Jam, the podcast that helps you get more traffic to your website and make more sales. And it is the sales part we're focusing on today as we're joined by Pep Lyre from Conversion XL, an expert in conversion optimization, uh, which basically means he helps websites convert more traffic into inquiries, leads, and ultimately more profit. But before we get to Pep, a quick thank you to Amir Anzor from the United Kingdom who left a five-star review on iTunes. And Amir said, great podcast, love the insight shared on every single show. Now, I do happen to know Amir and he's done some pretty good things himself over at webpreneuracademy.com, educating others how to leverage the internet successfully. So appreciate the kind words, Amir. If you too would like to get yourself featured on a future episode, you can do so by going to the Traffic Jam rating and review pages on iTunes or Stitcher, which you can access real quick by going to trafficjamcast.com forward slash iTunes and trafficjamcast.com forward slash Stitcher. Now, I'd absolutely love it if you were to leave a review and rating. And as I said, it's a great way to get yourself featured on a future episode. Now, just one more link you need to know about, and that's the episode page for this show, which you can access by going to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 49. And on that page, you'll find the full show notes, including a link to all of the resources mentioned in the show, a full transcript of this episode, a downloadable MP3, plus a special conversion boosting bonus I prepared just for this show. So before we start the interview, head on over to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 49 and download the bonuses and then listen along to this show. The Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. So here's the introduction to our guest. His name is Pep Lyre, and he's got a blog called Conversion XL, where he publishes research and experiments on conversion optimization and getting better business results. Now, what seems to set the Conversion XL blog apart is its well-researched and actionable content and its cheese-free style. That's to paraphrase Pep. As well as his own blog, he's also featured on the blogs of other Traffic Jam guests, Corbett Barr's Think Traffic and Neil Patel's Kiss Metrics, to name just two. Pep's also the author of How to Build Websites That Sell, which is a step-by-step guide to boosting conversions on your site from design to copywriting to marketing efforts. And that is available on Amazon.com. Aside from being a prolific blogger, Pep delivers training and workshops on conversion optimization and internet marketing and consults with businesses wanting to build a website that sells more. And he does that through his own marketing agency. Now, I also found out prior to the interview that Pep was also a resident of Dubai, just like myself, back in around 2007. So we're both here in the UAE around the same sort of time. But anyway, he's been country hopping a lot since then. 
various places around the world and he now resides in Texas, USA. So here we are, joining us all the way from Texas is Pep Liar from Conversion XL. So welcome back, listeners. This is episode 49 of Traffic Jam, and joining me today is Pep Liar from Conversion XL. Pep, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So you've got this message on the homepage of your website, Conversion XL, that uses the metaphor that websites are like buckets, and that most websites are essentially leaky buckets, leaking customers and sales all over. Um, I think I'd like to begin with that analogy. What are some of the biggest holes you find on websites that are literally pouring away money? Oh, there's there's so many, uh, yet very many of them, or all of them, are very, let's say, particular to uh, a specific website, meaning that there's there's no one big bucket on that's the same on all websites. There's there's very little apples apples to apples comparison going on. The the typical things that people don't really know about or think about is all kinds of cross browser and cross device issues. Yeah. That uh, you know it's like people think, yeah, nobody uses Internet Explorer eight anymore, but actually it has a significant impact if if your website just does not work with one. So you know this kind of compatibility issues is is one of those one of those uh, leaks that people are not paying attention to and if if we're talking about you know let's say e-commerce sites then most people focus their conversion efforts on ch- checkout funnel you know like once the products in the cart are they going you know through their billing shipping and whatever uh, steps whereas maybe the problem is their category page like maybe people get to the category page, but they're not clicking through to go to a product page, or maybe you know uh, a decent amount are, but they're looking at the product page, but they're not clicking add to cart button. So the biggest leak is actually there. Yeah. Now it's an interesting point that you made about browsers. How big an impact is the adoption of mobiles having on you know website conversion numbers? So it, it's it's a multifaceted thing because it's also that often people they do their research on a mobile phone and then they go home to their desktop computer and complete the purchase. Yeah. So it's it's the continuation of the path. Because typically we see that mobile traffic, you know, it's it's getting up to like 50% of, you know, any website traffic or some are already at 50% level some are uh, on their way depends on what you're selling and stuff. And and what we see about conversion rates is typically Mobile uh, mobile phones convert at maybe twenty to thirty percent of the level of a desktop, whereas tablets are like ninety percent of desktop conversions. So if you look at your Google Analytics report and you look at conversion rate per device category, tablet, desktop, uh, mobile, and if you see that your tablet is less than ninety percent when compared to desktop, then that that means that the user experience on tablets is crap, and same goes for mobiles. If it's less than twenty five, or maybe less than twenty percent, then again, uh, it might have to do uh, with your uh, website experience. Yeah, well, it's an interesting statistic. I know Google have put out some numbers on this, and 
I, I mean, you might be uh, closer to those facts than me, but I think there's something like, you know, 70% of, of sales are, you know, multi-device purchases. Like they have originally found a site perhaps on a mobile device, but ended up making that purchase on a desktop or a, or a tablet thereafter. So I'm sure it's pretty uh, important stuff. It is, and you know, measuring all that is where it gets complicated. Now, with universal analytics, you could store user IDs, but they have to be, you know, implementing the fact that you can identify people across devices. Uh, you know, can be ch still challenging. Yeah. So let me flip my original question on its head. What are the biggest factors or principles, I guess, that when handled correctly can have the biggest lift on conversions? Well, essentially, you're dealing with two dimensions here. You have to be always increasing motivation and decreasing friction. So if I'm on your product page, now you want me to add to cart or click sign up or free trial or whatever, then, you know, basically, if you're not adding enough motivation on that page, you're causing leaks. You're making the leaks bigger. So you always have to make sure that the motivation is at the highest level. Even if they go to your pricing page, are you doing something there to increase motivation or are you just telling them what the price is? Yeah. At the same time, if you want people to take action, what is what are all the things that are decreasing uh, the probability of people taking action? It might be that you know you really want people to click add to cart, but you have fifty links on the page, fifty places where they can click. That's attention ratio, so it's like fifty to one. So you need to dramatically cut the number of options on the page so they would focus in on that single action you want them to take. So reduce distraction, reduce links, make the, the desired action, uh, you know, stand out more in terms of size, color, um, you know, many, many levers you can uh, use here. So at all times have to, how can I make taking action easier and how can I make them want to take action? Yeah. Well, let's drill a little into those two categories because it's interesting conversation. What are some of the factors, therefore, that might increase motivation? Let's say on a let's say on a checkout page. Let's let's you know assume that this is a purchase related conversion where someone is going to exchange some money, perhaps um, for a product or service. Um, they're getting right. their wallet out. What might some of those things be that we could place there that might increase that motivational factor? Well, we have to understand what goes on inside the mind of the customer when they're on that page. And there's only so much that we can figure out or guess ourselves. It is better to ask the users. So typically when I'm optimizing a site and I need to increase checkout page conversions, um, and let's say that you know it's, it's a simple form, so it's not hard to fill out. So we're mainly dealing with motivation factor. So on this page, um, I would I would do like a, a add a, like a survey like using Qualaroo or something where I would ask, hey uh, you know uh, is there anything holding you back from taking action on this page or um, uh, any anything of that sort? So I want to hear the language of the user, the voice of the customer while they're on this page. What goes on uh, inside their mind, and uh, it it could be that they're um, they're having some fears and doubts about. Well, I don't know, like I'm about to part with my money. Will this thing really work? 
So if that is their main concern, you can increase their motivation by adding language or proof that your service or product really works to solve the problem. Mm. Like maybe, again, reiterate the problem the software solves, like just you know, 30 more seconds and you're already on your way to you know, painless invoicing or whatever. Uh, I mean, painless invoicing is probably too generic, needs to be more specific than that. But basically, you, you address the end benefit that they're about to get. Or maybe the, um, the hesitation in their mind is that, Oh, I've never heard of this software. Like, am I am I the only idiot using this? Yeah. So you, then you can use you know, like social proof. You know, fifty million or however many happy customers. Add some testimonials there. Uh, maybe some you know five star review in whatever magazine. Um, so stuff like that. So start with what is the user experiencing uh, while on that page? What is what is the pain or the the thought process that goes on? And you won't know it until you ask them. Yeah. And I guess it's that it's that classic survey, isn't it? Why did you buy or why did you not buy? And those are the things that you need to address either one way or the other. Right. And if you're serving people that are on this page before they're even making a purchase, so you, you want to ask them, uh, you know, you want to try to figure out the sources of hesitation, you know, what kind of doubts, is there anything holding you back? If so, you know, what is it? Um, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I can imagine how something like a, a Quaraloo survey that you um, suggested would work really well. I'm guessing also something like a live chat function um, would also be good um, research in this particular scenario where you can engage with customers when they're almost in that act of considering or getting ready to purchase and see what their kind of thought patterns are at that particular time. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And also reading uh, live chat transcripts um, can be super insightful, or even talking to your customer support reps. You know, hey, what are the most common questions people ask while on this page? Or you know, so can be really, really insightful. Yeah. Well, you tweeted out something the other day that resonated with me so much that I actually shared it with my own audience. And that was that uh, the outcomes of other people's testing has no impact on our own. And that, of course, we should test using our own website and our own traffic. What are some of the most surprising test results you've experienced, perhaps where you've expected one result and gotten something just completely different? Well, uh, currently a hot topic with, with mobile uh, designs is how do you design a menu for mobile sites? And you know, it's typical, very common to use this hamburger icon, these three lines yeah. underneath each other. And there have been uh, you know, lots of blog posts around how people have tested this. And typically the hamburger tends to, to lose in those tests. So now, I think it was last week or something, uh, Booking.com, you know, the number one travel site, uh, published their study. They didn't reveal numbers, but basically they said that the hamburger, the tested hamburger icon against menu, the button menu, it was uh, no difference. I mean, hamburger worked. So then I launched a test, or we, me and my client, we launched a test um, on an e-commerce site, testing hamburger against hamburger with the word menu underneath it. And now, this was a, it's a very small change, right? It's a very tiny, just add the word um, menu underneath the hamburger icon. And now this test is currently, uh, I'm pulling it up as we speak here, uh, the test has been running for 16 days. So, uh, it's not quite done yet. We should increase the sample size and uh, the duration more to be sure. 
but right now the revenue is up 15% and and uh, 9% more purchases wow from just a small button change 15% more revenue which in this client's case is hundreds of thousands of dollars um so uh very small thing and that was surprising that um how big of an impact uh, this this button test made. Yeah, and I, and I guess that's making the assumption that everyone knows that a little hamburger icon is, in fact, a menu where I guess some people just quite obviously don't, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> Abs- absolutely. I mean, if you're not selling to a tech-savvy audience, and this this in this case, the product is scented candles, so it's like homemakers are buying them or, you know, uh, might not need necessarily be a tech-savvy audience. Yeah, Totally. Well, I'm guessing there's literally hundreds of things that we could test on a website, but I'm sure there are some that have greater impact than others all oh, the yeah. same. Where do you suggest people start with their testing? What are kind of the hierarchy of the most important things perhaps to test first? Like the, the key thing to remember is that don't test because of based on your opinions. Uh, if you if the way you conduct testing is like you ask your colleague, "Hey Joe, what should we test next?" Hey, test the button color. I mean, you're doing it wrong. That's not how testing works. So everything should be data based, data informed. Um, so the the way it, it would work is that you want to gather. Yes, you want to have opinions as well. Meaning, like you assess each of your screens on your website like a home page category product if pricing checkout page whatever uh, and just try to assess them for hey let's look at clarity can we make this page more clear and you know and and uh, you know how how we do it or can we reduce distraction here can we reduce friction here like maybe make the form shorter and so on so but your opinion based analysis of the website is just your like opinion yeah so so I declare always the results of this, you know, this experience-based assessment as the result is areas of interest. So I have identified things that I think might make a difference when we change them, but might not. So next step is that we need qualitative and quantitative data. Uh, in the quantitative, like Google Analytics, heat mapping tools, uh, form analytics, stuff like that, Main thing you want to understand is, as I said, you know, uh, they maybe they get to the category p- uh, page, but they're not clicking through to a product or it's the product page. They don't add to cart, and every step of your checkout funnel, where is the biggest drop off? So yeah. once you know which pages have the biggest drop off, you know that that's where you want to focus first. Where is the biggest drop off? Is your biggest opportunity? And now, what is wrong with those pages? Why are people dropping off? So. Now, we want to hear from the users. So again, like those pages with the biggest drop-off, put some Qualaroo surveys on this page and ask, hey, you know, what's going on? Uh, is there anything holding you back from uh, do, taking this action right now? Also, survey recent first-time buyers, people who have no prior experience or relationship with you, but recently bought something like three days ago. And you send them uh, like an open-ended survey, maybe seven, eight questions, and you want to ask, uh, ask about their intent, like which problem were they solving for themselves, and you really want to pay attention to the language they use to describe it, because that's what you use for copywriting yeah. later on on that page. Uh, you want to ask about the friction they experienced, like hesitations, doubts, questions they had but couldn't find answers to. Uh, and when you get this data in, and then you compare it with your own 
experience-based assessment, then the picture starts coming together. And maybe you have form analytics, like, hey, you know, people are using this form, but this form field is causing problems. And you have this data. And now, based on that, you can come up with a hypothesis that is not purely opinion-based, but it's supported by data that you're seeing. Um, and then you come up with um, with a test. Um, and also, when you're ranking this, so on the same page, you have multiple things that you want to test. So start, you, you want to somehow rank this test. And, and, and the, the way you want to do it, you want to assess two key criteria here. One is this potential uplift. And, of course, this is subjective. You don't know how big of an uplift something will have. Because if we knew, like, we wouldn't need to. Right? <laughs> yeah, it'd be a lot so, But um, it's, it's the severity of the problem. Like people on the product page are saying, I just can't figure out how to add the damn product to the cart. If if they're telling you this, you know that is a severe problem. So that's something that you want to test first. Yeah. Uh, whereas if it's just your opinion or idea and you have no data supporting that it's a problem, then you know li- you know the potential is is not so big. So you rank all your test hypotheses. Uh, from like basically you score them from 10 to 1 10 being the biggest uh, potential and also ease of implementation because it might be that you have a brilliant idea how to completely reimagine the experience on whatever page but doing that um, to test that you need your designer to you know spend whatever 20 hours designing and then you need your developer you know 20 hours of coding and all that stuff so the ease of implementation is not very high. Um, so you, again, you rank your hypotheses based on ease of implementation, like 10 being, I can put this test uh, live in two minutes, and, and one being, it will take three months of development. And because if you, if you invest all the designer and developer hours up front, and you have no idea how it will perform, it's risky, right? Yeah. Um, so, and taking those two um, factors into consideration now, like the potential uplift and the ease of implementation. So you want to test uh, big impact, easy to implement stuff first. Yeah. So it's almost one number times the other, I guess, to kind of get that overall perspective of what's going to be the right one to start with first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Well, I can see how that might work out. Now, we have mentioned that we're going to need some way to kind of, uh, you know, gather data and uh, analyze this properly. And everyone loves a good tool tip. What sort of software or tools do you recommend using for, for testing purposes? Well, of course, Google Analytics. Um, but with Google Analytics, you need to make sure that you're measuring everything that needs to be measured. And I'm talking way past just your regular have your goals configured and funnels set up. All the event tracking stuff. Like if you have an e-commerce site, 99% of e-commerce stores I come across don't have event tracking on add to cart button. They're only tracking visits to the cart page, which is not the same thing. So if you want to improve the number of people clicking on add to cart button on the product page and you are not measuring that, how can you improve it? How do you know you're doing better now? Um, so you need to be make sure that every action is measured. If you have filters on your, let's say, category pages, filter by price, brand, size, color, whatever. Now, if people use those widgets, will it increase or decrease your conversions? Well, 
if you're not recording an event every time somebody uses those widgets, you don't know. But if you record an event, you can set up an advanced segment in Google Analytics and, and see people who interacted with this widget, are they now less likely, more likely to convert or no difference? And based on that, you know which of your features actually have a positive impact. So for instance, I have a, I have a client, an e-commerce site, and they sell allergy products. And there's this widget on the homepage where they can say, choose, I need allergy relief from, and they choose a condition. Now, since we're tracking the usage of that widget, we see that people who interact with that, if that site average conversion rate is like 3 4%, people who use that widget, their conversion rate is like 15%. Huge difference. So now, my test hypothesis is, or question is, how can we get more people to use that widget, right? So Google Analytics, but you need to measure everything. Um, really great for auto event tracking uh, and tracking funnels and measuring the impact of in individual events is this tool called Heap Analytics. H-E-A-P, Heap Analytics. So this is a tool that auto records all events. You don't need to configure any event track. You don't need to bother your developer. So they record all the events. And you just need to um, set up some, do some funnel configuration within the heap analytics itself. It's a great tool. I love it. Nice. And my, my, my third recommendation would be a tool called Inspectlet, which combines heat maps, kind of like Crazy Egg kind of things. But yeah. Crazy Egg lacks two critical features. Heap analytics also, sorry, heap, uh, Inspectlet also adds form analytics. So you can see which field in your forms is actually causing problems. Like maybe uh, people leave it empty even though it's required or they are getting validation errors there or um, you know, they hesitate filling out that field. All kind of this great data per form field in your forms. Um, and it adds session replays. Um, you can watch videos of people using your site. So if you have a page on your site and you have no idea why people are not taking action. So you can actually watch videos of your users on that page, and you can see what they're doing and not doing, and that can be very insightful. Time-consuming, but very insightful. So those two, three tools I would use for the quantitative data gathering. Nice. It sounds a little like my first job when I my left college and we used to work for a company that did consumer research and we tracked people around the uh, shopping aisles of big uh, department stores and we'd watch where they picked up and how they moved just to get an understanding of kind of their interaction with the product interface and I guess that's kind of taking that concept but now placing it online on, on top of a website right. right yeah exactly right very neat now I guess a lot of the traffic jam listeners will be running paid traffic to landing pages. What advice do you have that might help our listener build a higher converting landing page for paid traffic? Key thing here, as most of your um, listeners already know, is relevancy. If I see your ad and the ad sets, sets uh, an expectation. Um, so if I click on the ad and the landing page does not repeat what the ad said, there's a mismatch, message, uh, mismatch. So the pre-click and post-click messages have to be aligned. Um, and the easiest way to do it is that you, you have dynamic landing pages, meaning that your ad cop, uh, landing page copy changes depending on your ad copy. So, of course, you have a bunch of ads and ad groups and whatever, and the messages um, you know, are different because you're split testing different, different uh, messages, targeting different keywords and whatnot. So... So make sure that 
your landing page where you drive the traffic to is not static. That the, the, the copy there, the headline and, and maybe some body copy will change according to your ad copy. And you can do that either by uh, poking your developer friend in the ribs and he'll write a simple script for you. Or you can do a tool, use a tool like Unbounce that has a built-in feature uh, exactly for this purpose. Nice. Cool. Well, I think we'll get close to drawing to a close, but a couple more questions that I want to ask you, Pep. First one is that I'm imagining that a good number of our listeners are in very different scenarios in terms of what they're selling. We'll, of course, have those that are selling low price products with very short buying cycles, perhaps, and others that may be selling high price services with very long buying cycles. How does what we're actually selling affect our approach to conversion optimization? Right. So the, the, I guess the main principle is that the more expensive and or complicated the product, the longer is your purchase cycle. So if your product costs, you know, like in my case where I sell conversion optimization services, where the fees start from $10,000 a month, it's not some, it's not an impulse purchase, right? So I'm not even, tr- if it's my first meeting with you, I'm not going to sell you anything. I don't, I'm not going to even tell you that I offer this service because I know you're not going to buy. So in this case, I want you to take micro actions, join my newsletter and then read my blog post and I'll send you newsletters and I want you to come back and read more articles to build trust and all that stuff. And eventually down the line, you know, when you have the need, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that, hey, I, I, mean, I am offering this service as well. So I think the biggest mistake people selling complicated or expensive products is that they're jumping the gun. They're already, they immediately ask for a purchase, even though your, your prospect is not ready for it. So, you know, you, you get them to, I think the best way in that situation to increase sales is to avoid the sale uh, at the beginning. So get them to opt into your list interact with some widget, you know, something else. Yeah. It's like that metaphor of don't propose to the girl on the first meeting, right? I mean, you're not going to exactly get a right. you're not going to get a hand in marriage if you met her 5 minutes ago. Or maybe Ex- you are. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly right. And if you're only after a small kiss, you know, you might choose a different approach. <laughs> Cool. Well, let's uh, let's almost wrap things up. Um, but I think I'd like to leave our listeners perhaps with something actionable to to take away. So let's assume that they've they've got a website, they've got some marketing in play. Perhaps they want to go off and audit what they're currently doing for improvements. What are some of the things that we can suggest that they check right now um, as a good starting point for improving their conversions? Mm, okay. I guess you wanna you want to uh, most important thing is you wanna identify where your website is leaking money. Uh, so a couple of things you can do: you go to your uh, behavior site content all pages report, and you sort your pages. Uh, you you wanna filter out low traffic pages, but basically you wanna identify your high bounce pages. High bounce means you know people are leaving, and as, as well as high exit rate pages. Of course, exit rate is more complex because people usually don't exit on the page where the problem is. It's like they have had two or three frustrating clicks already. Uh, so that's one. And, and of course, make sure that your your funnel um, is is all all set up as and 
Uh, there, there are so many reports here. So, James, why don't you link to a blog post that I've written um, called um, Google Analytics Reports to tell you where you're leaking money. I have 10 reports with screenshots that anybody can just follow and, uh, and figure it out. Perfect. Well, we will make sure that that's in the show notes for this episode. So head on over to the episode page and we'll make sure that that's linked off to. Um, Pep, I'm guessing conversionxl.com would be a great place to send our listeners off to. Anywhere else on the web that they should connect with you? Now that That's it. Um, every week we post at least two very long in-depth posts where uh, I have extremely high editorial standards. So everything you'll find on our blog is solid gold. Check it out. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you once again, Pep. An utter pleasure having you on the show and uh, perhaps look forward to doing it again sometime. Thank you so much. So there you have it. That was Pep Lyre from Conversion XL. Now, to help you take your conversions to the next level, I've put together a special conversion boosting bonus for you. Now, to get your hands on this bonus, go to trafficjamcast.com forward slash 49. That's trafficjamcast.com forward slash 49, where you can also download the MP3 full transcript of today's show. Plus, you can join in on the discussion for this episode too. So thank you for listening in, as always, to Traffic Jam. This was episode 49. To make sure you're the first to hear episode 50, as soon as it's released, make sure you're subscribed via iTunes or Stitcher Radio, which you can do by going to trafficjamcast.com forward slash iTunes and trafficjamcast.com forward slash Stitcher. Now, we end this week with a traffic jam chosen by Pep Liar called Ratamahatta by the band Sepultura. And a word of warning, this is some pretty heavy alternative metal. But anyway, enjoy and I'll see you back here in about seven days from now.
Traffic Jam Podcast with James Reynolds. To know more about this program and to subscribe for future episodes, check out the website trafficjamcast.com.